Chapter Three: Saint Patrick, a Treasure of Heroes and Heroines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Treasury of Heroes and Heroines by Clayton Edwards. Chapter Three: Saint Patrick. No saint's name is more familiar than Holy Saint Patrick's. Legends have sprung up around it as thick as the grass of Ireland, from which he is believed to have chased the serpents into the sea. But in all the calendar, hardly a saint is known less about than this marvelous man who carried the Christian religion to every corner of the Emerald Island. Saint Patrick was not a native of Ireland. He was born perhaps in 373 A.D. in the little town of Banavem Tabernay a roman town in ancient scotland not far from the modern city of glasgow rome had ruled the world for hundreds of years and the swords of her soldiers had been uplifted in every known land hence it was that st patrick came into the world as a future citizen of rome and the son of a wealthy and respected roman colonist his father was named calpornius and was a deacon of the christian church in the town where he lived and the mother of the future saint was also a devout christian the niece of the renowned bishop martin of the city of tours in france calpornius and his wife were so ardent in religion that they spent day and night in teaching their son the story of the gospel and the psalms they desired first of all that he should be a good christian and a bearer of the faith but they wearied the growing boy with long hours of study and monotonous recitals of religious hymns and proverbs when he was eager to be ranging the hills or playing with his fellows at that time he had no particular desire to be a priest and like most boys was far more interested in the stories of heroes than the stories of saints preferring to hear of the wild scottish chiefs and the roman generals with whom they had engaged in bitter warfare he thirsted for adventure and adventure was to come to him those were wild days and law only reached as far as it could be upheld by the sword and the arrow pirates harried the seas and from the north the galleys of the sea robbers were soon to range southward in search of lands where plunder was to be found and men and women to be carried into slavery one night when a gale was blowing from the northeast st patrick we are told sat with some friends in the glowing light of a great peat fire where they warmed themselves at the same time that they told stories of adventure and sang scottish songs as wild and melancholy as the wind that was scouring the hills st patrick was now a lad of sixteen with well-knit limbs and a powerful body that made him appear older than he really was and at the same time gave promise of greater strength to come he listened keenly to the singing but at the same time gave ear to sounds that he heard without the hut for the rough voices of men speaking an unknown tongue seemed to be mingling with the noise of the storm at last he sprang up with a shout of warning a shout that was answered by a battle cry from without a pirate galley had made its way to the shore and the crew were engaged on a raid to capture slaves some of st patrick's companions were clubbed or cut down where they sat but he was thrown and strongly bound dragged roughly to the shore and tossed on board the robber craft that quickly made its way to sea in spite of the tremendous surf that broke over the backs of the oarsmen for several days they fought the sea and at last came to the coast of northern ireland where st patrick was sold as a slave to an irish chief named miluk it is probable that the pirates gained a rich reward for the clean-limbed boy whose strength and ability were evident to all who saw him when the bargain was finished they boarded their vessel and sailed away leaving the luckless boy in the hands of his new master and straightway there commenced for st patrick a bitterly hard life for little kindness was wasted on those who were sold into bondage and slaves were compelled to labor terribly with aching muscles and empty bellies beaten and cuffed at the whim of their master who had a perfect right to slay them if he so desired hunger 
hunger, blows, and fatigue were St. Patrick's portion, and were added to the homesickness of a young man torn from affectionate parents. And then St. Patrick found consolation in the religious teachings that had been drummed into his unwilling ears, and in the midst of his suffering he turned to his faith for comfort. He remembered the psalms that had been taught by his father and mother, and said them repeatedly. And he even forbore at times to eat his meager rations, thinking that by fasting, he might prove worthy in the eyes of the Lord. And one night he had a dream, in which he heard a voice which said to him, Fast no more, but fly, for a vessel now awaits you, to carry you away from your bondage. Truly you shall behold your parents again, and once more be free and happy. St. Patrick woke in amazement after this dream, but he was so certain that the voice which spoke to him was real, that he did not hesitate to obey it. Watching his opportunity, he slipped away from the chief who had held him for six years in bitter servitude, and walking and running by turns, he made his way southward in search of the vessel that he knew must be awaiting him. He did not concern himself about the path, for he felt that heaven would guide him. And indeed, after he had marched for two hundred miles, he came to the coast, and just as he had dreamed, the vessel lay at anchor near the shore, and some of the sailors were standing on the beach. St. Patrick ran up to them and implored the captain to carry him away from Ireland back to his own country. His wild appearance startled the master of the vessel, but after considerable doubt, the captain consented and St. Patrick boarded the ship where he was to work his passage across the channel. They set sail at once and bent their backs to the oars, for in those days ships were moved over the water by rowers as well as by sails, and after three days they came not to Scotland but the shore of France, landing in a wild and desolate region where no human habitation was to be seen. Their provision had run low, and they were in danger of dying of hunger, when the captain, who had closely watched St. Patrick during the voyage and observed his piety, asked him to pray to the Christian God to bring them food, for the captain himself was not a Christian, and believed that his own prayers would be worthless on this account. And St. Patrick knelt and prayed, and before he had risen to his feet again, a wild boar ran from the thicket, and then another, and still a third, all of which were promptly slain, and the meat roasted on sticks. Then St. Patrick bade farewell to his shipmates, and made his way to the city of Tours, where to his joy he met Bishop Martin, who was his own great uncle, and he stayed at the home of the bishop for four years. After this time he tried again to reach Scotland, to which he was drawn every hour by ties of blood and affection, and at last he embarked on a vessel bound to a port very near his own native town. He found his father and mother still living, and they rejoiced mightily to see him, for to them he was as one who had returned from the dead. In place of the boy they had lost, there appeared a tall and finely built man, with a face hardened by toil, but made noble by thought and suffering, and they had a feast to celebrate his return, and wept for joy because they had their son again. But the dreams that St. Patrick had experienced in Ireland once more came to him, and in his sleep he heard the heavenly voice telling him that he had been rescued from slavery for no mean or ordinary purpose, but must go again into Ireland as a priest, and teach the Christian religion to the savage Irish clans. So St. Patrick knew that he must return to Ireland, and bidding his parents farewell, he departed to become a priest in preparation for the labor that lay before him. He studied to such purpose that he became a bishop, celebrated for his learning, and famous among the clergymen. And when this was accomplished, he set sail once more for Ireland, with a retinue of priests and clergymen accompanying him. But although he was going to a savage land, where he had already experienced much bitterness and sorrow, he went unarmed, and among his entire company there was not so much as a single sword or lance. 
He came to a place called Strangford Lough, and there landed with his band of missionaries. The Irish fled at his approach, for they feared that the tall man who bore the cross was the leader of an invading army, and also that he possessed the arts of magic by which he would do injury to them. Many of the Irish believed in the religion of the Druids, a strange faith that brought in the magic art, and endeavored to teach above all other things that a man's soul, when he dies, enters another human body. This belief was widely established throughout the world, and it is true that many persons beside the Druids believed in it. But the Druids had other beliefs that were cruel and dangerous. They were said to perform human sacrifices and their priests to practice black magic. These priests wore about their necks the serpent's egg, a ball formed of the spittle of many poisonous snakes. They knew many strange things about animals and plants, and held the oak tree to be sacred. For this reason, they worshipped in oaken groves, and considered the mistletoe that grew around oak trees to have divine powers. It was cut by white-robed priests with golden knives in an impressive ceremony. It can readily be seen that such people who believed in such a faith would not easily become Christians. Their priests were clever, and knew how to place the stamp of fear and wonder on their minds. And in company with all other people in those days, the Irish distrusted outsiders and were far more ready to believe them coming in treachery than in friendship. When St. Patrick and his followers set foot in Ireland, it was the time of a great religious festival in which no lights were allowed to be lit or fires to be kindled for several days. St. Patrick knew this, for he was well versed in the religious customs of the Irish, and he knew, too, that the penalty for disobeying the priestly order was a terrible death. Nonetheless, and in spite of being unarmed, he ordered his followers to build an enormous fire that could be seen for miles. When the great logs and faggots were piled together, St. Patrick kindled the pile with his own hands, and the flames shot high in the air, throwing strange shadows on the trees and causing the Irish to cry out in fear and astonishment. The Druid priests were greatly angered and perturbed at what St. Patrick had done, and they went at once to the king, who was named Logair MacNeil, telling him that the foreign band had desecrated the Druid faith and must be punished with death. Then the king told the priests to go and fetch St. Patrick and bring him to judgment. But the priests feared the fire that had been kindled, thinking that it had magic powers. So they went as far as they dared, and called out to St. Patrick, summoning him to appear before the judges of the land. Promptly and with fearless demeanor, St. Patrick joined the priests, and was taken before the king. And when the king demanded of him how he had dared to disobey the laws of the country and profane its religion, St. Patrick answered that he did so because the light of the Christian faith was infinitely brighter than the light of any fire that he or anyone else had power to kindle, and that the fire he had built was merely a sign to call the Irish to the worship of the true God. Then he preached, and his words were so wise and spoken with such weight of eloquence that many that heard him became Christians on the spot, and the work of converting Ireland was soon well under way. There were many of the Irish that loved St. Patrick, but he had many bitter enemies. On one occasion, a powerful Irishman, who was enraged at the saint for having taken a stone sacred to the Druids for a Christian altar, vowed that he must die. So he lay in wait in a patch of woods near a road over which he knew St. Patrick would pass with a sharp javelin to pierce his heart. St. Patrick had an Irish boy for his servant, and this boy knew of the threat and the place and was greatly afraid for the life of his beloved master. But he knew, too, that it would be useless to ask St. Patrick to go by another road, for fear was unknown to him. So the boy pretended to be weary and asked St. Patrick to take the reins of the horse that they were driving, and the brave lad seated himself in his master's place. They came to the the wood there was a sudden stirring of the bushes and the hiss of a javelin which embedded itself in the boy's heart killing him instantly the assassin had taken his master for the ordinary driver and st patrick's life was saved ardently 
the saint set to work to bring about the conversion of the irish and he did his work so well that when he became an old man there were no heathen left in ireland and his name was loved and venerated from one end of the island to the other and the legends grew up so quickly about him that it is hard to separate the true from the false he had written a famous hymn which was called the breastplate being as he said the best and strongest armor he or any other christian could bear since it was a confession of his faith in the christian religion on many occasions when men sought his life it is said he chanted this hymn and they let him pass st patrick is said to have driven all the snakes out of ireland into the sea and it is notable that there are no snakes there to-day and the other marvellous things he is believed to have accomplished are manifold he died at a ripe old age and from the day of his death to the present day no one man has been more revered in the land where he laboured for the name of st patrick is in every irish heart and st patrick's day is celebrated by irishmen in every part of the world End of chapter three st patrick